0: Hey, good morning again, everybody. My name is Nick Mance, I'm one of the pastors here, and I am so excited to be sharing with you this morning. Just a couple quick reminders, we are gonna have communion today at the end of our service, so if you've not gotten the elements yet, feel free to grab those whenever you need to so that you're ready to go. And also, you can head over to hfcinfo.com. We have a couple of great resources up there for you. We have a discussion guide, um, the full PDF version of our Love This Book uh, devotional guide is up there for you as well. We have some discussion questions for you as individuals, as a family, as a small group, just to process and dig deeper into what we talk about. There's also helpful links to videos and different um, options for you to continue to study on your own and to continue to dig deeper into God's word to help you understand it as you grow in your relationship with him. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Jonah. And often, when it comes to a story like Jonah, I think a lot of times we we know some of the story. We know kind of like the big points of the story. In fact, maybe you, when you hear Jonah, you think of this, right? Maybe you think of the VeggieTales movie. I don't know if you're like me, but like when you walk into a supermarket, and we know every supermarket's the same, right? You walk into that produce section. And maybe you're like me, and you you subconsciously start singing the song, or you start humming it, and you're like, "If you like to talk." To tomatoes, right? And you're just like, oh, yeah, I know the Jonah story. I know Bob and Larry and and Junior. I know them. Or maybe when you think of Jonah, maybe you think of this. Maybe you think of the big part of the story, right? This big fish, whale, like whale shark, we don't know, big fish, and this dude in the water, we're like, that's the story. Or maybe when you think of Jonah, maybe you're like me and you go old school and you flash back to this childhood movie, Pinocchio. And you're like, this is what I envision the story of Jonah to be like. They're trying to get away, and they end up getting in the belly of the whale, right? And that's what we come to. We're like, that's what we see. But, you know, I think sometimes what happens is when we know a well-known story, we only know the well-known parts. And the problem with that is we miss out. We miss out on the whole point, the whole focus of the story of Jonah, You see, I would argue that the story of Jonah is not a story that should focus on Jonah. In fact, I would say this. I would say the story of Jonah, we do tend to focus on him and the big fish, but rather what we should be doing is focusing on God and what he is doing in and through this story. You see, the problem is like if we focus on Jonah as the hero, as the protagonist, as the main character, there are some serious flaws with this story, In fact, what we're going to do today is we, we take an overview look of the book of Jonah. We will actually see at the end of the book, like if Jonah is supposed to be the hero, the protagonist, this does not end well, and it does not give us closure. But if we look at this story, understanding, like, as we talk about love this book, understanding that, like, the focus to understand how God is desiring to be with us, we see that worked out in this story. And we see God as the true protagonist. God is the true hero. And we understand that, that, that God is moving in powerful ways in and through this text. And if we only look at the big parts, the big parts of Jonah in the water with the whale, of Jonah fleeing, of Jonah going to the city, then we miss out on what God is doing. Because God's desire is that, that he restores a relationship with humanity. You see, God is looking to, to bring wholeness as he seeks a relationship with us. This is actually a story of God bringing redemption repentance, and restoration to a broken and sinful people. And if we only focus on Jonah and the big pieces of this story, we miss out on what God is actually doing in and through it. So this morning, like I said, I want to take some time. I actually want to look at kind of an overview of the book of Jonah. I want us to look at some of the passages and to say, okay, what, what is actually happening in this book? And after we do that, I want to go, okay, what, what do we actually learn from this text, and then what are the practical applications of what we have learned? So let's take some time and look at some key parts of this text real quick. We're gonna start in the very beginning, Jonah chapter one, beginning in verse one. So we read, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So right away, in the very beginning, here's what we're told. God comes to Jonah. And he's like, Hey, I need you to be my ambassador to go and preach a message of repentance to the city of Nineveh. And Jonah's like, nah, I'm out. <laughs> he just, he, he's like, nah, God, I'm not doing this. I'm heading out. I don't want to do this. So he runs away from God. Now here, there, there's some background here to maybe help us understand why Jonah ran. You see, The city of Nineveh is actually an Assyrian city. And Assyria was a sworn enemy of Israel. In fact, Assyria was seen as a very evil nation, a nation that did not worship the true God. They worshiped multiple false gods. They did evil actions. They were corrupt. They were seen as the invading force to Israel. They were seen as occupiers. And Israel actually viewed the nation of Assyria as this cut off piece of individuals who should not have a relationship with God. So there's this not only cultural divide, but also a religious divide. And so Jonah is fearful. He is terrified of going to Nineveh. And so he runs away. But you know what's really interesting here? I think right here in the first three verses, we actually kind of like, we almost have to remember another moment earlier in scripture where God gave a command to to some individuals. And he said, hey, I want you to do this. Don't do that. And they decided that they knew better. And, and, and they went and they did their own thing and they ended up running away from God. I mean, it sounds a lot like Adam and Eve. And it sounds like Jonah is almost repeating a cycle of believing that he knows better than God like Adam and Eve did and is looking to enact his own, his own plan as Adam and Eve did as well. But let's take this a little bit further because I want to see what happens a little bit later in the text in chapter one. Jonah gets on the ship and this storm comes in. This horrible, horrible storm. A storm that terrifies the guys who are sailing the ship. And they begin to, to throw things overboard. They begin to, to cry out to their gods. And we read this a little bit later in Jonah chapter 1 beginning in verse 15. It says, Then Jonah, they took Jonah and they threw him overboard into the raging sea so that it grew calm. And at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now check this out. These guys, they were not followers of the true God. They follow multiple false gods. And while this storm is going on, they cry out to their false gods, like, save us, save us, and nothing happens. Jonah's asleep, and he comes up to the guys. He's like, hey, it looks like there's a storm going on. Whoa. And he's like, you need to throw me overboard because I I didn't do what God told me to, and that's the only way you're going to survive. And the the sailors are like, nope, nope, that sounds crazy. You sound absolutely nuts. Like We're not going to do that. And he's like, no, you have to. And they eventually, they they consult with each other. They consult with God. And they realize that this is the only option. And they do it. Now, here's the first instance where we begin to see that, that Jonah is not the hero of the story. Because we have to look at the response of the men, the sailors, what they did. They threw him in the sea, and the sea went calm. And we're told that these men feared the Lord. They offered him a sacrifice. They made vows to him. God's whole desire is to reach humanity, to bring them back into right standing with himself. And in this moment, these sailors stepped back and they said, this is God. This is God. This is the God we need to be following. And they sacrificed. They honored him. They turned their lives around. While all Jonah could think about was fleeing from this God, these men couldn't help but worship him. But let's go further because now we're left with this kind of like really sad moment right where Jonah is in the belly of this fish for a few days and a few nights and I can tell you it was not pleasant. And here's what happens. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah begins to pray. And we're told that from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, and he said, in my distress, God, I call to you, the Lord. And he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled all about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath me barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Jonah's in the belly of this fish. And in this fish, he cries out. And actually, all of chapter two, I would encourage you, read through chapter two. It's quite the prayer that Jonah prays. But in this this fish, in the belly of this big fish, Jonah cries out to God. He's like, God, rightly so, I got cast into the waves. And I, I sunk down so deep, and I thought that my life was gone. I thought it was over. But you, Lord, you brought my life up from the pit. He's acknowledging God. He's saying, God, I know you can bring me out of this. I know you can do this. What's interesting, though, is that Jonah doesn't necessarily repent. He just acknowledges who God is and what he can do. At the end of chapter two, we are told that that this big fish actually releases Jonah. We're not going to go into detail, into big detail because it can get a little bit gross, but I'm just saying, you know, he's in the belly and kind of, you know what I'm saying? And so he's released onto the land, and God then gives Jonah another chance. And we read this in Jonah chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. So here's what happens. God says to Jonah, he's like, Jonah, check this out, man. I'm giving you a second chance. You got released from my big fish and now I need you to go and do what I told you to do. Go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh and proclaim to them. Tell them they need to repent and follow me. And you can tell Jonah is still not happy with this. Jonah is still not excited about this. And we're told that Nineveh is this very big city. In fact, it would take three days to go through it. And what does Jonah do? He only goes in a day's worth. Jonah is like, man, God, if you're going to tell me to do this, fine, whatever, man. Like, I'll, I'm going to do the least bit to actually obey you. I'm just going to do a little bit. And so rather than go through the whole city, he only goes in a day's journey. He only goes a third of the way into the city. And rather than say, Nineveh, God is giving you an opportunity, the great and gracious God who freed me from the belly of the big fish, to repent, Nineveh, to turn and to accept the, re- the, the the redemption that he offers you. He goes in and he goes, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It's like, that's your message of repentance to give to the Ninevites? I mean, Jonah, like, again, like, if he's the hero, he's a really bad hero. If he's the protagonist, this is not a protagonist that we want to mimic, that we want to identify with. You can just kind of picture him. God said I had to do this, like, turn and repent. And it's like, really? But look at the response. The Ninevites They all believed in God, and we're telling them, we're told that a fast was proclaimed among this city, and that everybody, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth as a sign of humility and repentance, seeking to be made right before God. Now, I just want to take a really quick aside here, and, and you know it's it's interesting because Jonah may not be a wordsmith, right? I mean, he goes in 40 more days, told Nineveh's overthrown, right? And you're like, it's really not a great message of like of evangelism, Jonah. Like, that's not exactly going to win people over, but it does. And here's what I want you to understand, because I think some of us, we can read this, we're like, well, that's great what Jonah did, but like my gifting is not evangelism. I'm not a wordsmith. I can't get up and preach. I can't teach a class or or lead people to Jesus. Let me just say this real quick. If God can use this phrase of 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown to turn an entire city to repent and follow him. What can God do with us when our hearts are focused on him and we acknowledge the forgiveness and redemption that we have received? God can use our words, whether we are gifted with them or not, to bring people to a relationship with him. Because it's not just our words, it's a matter of the heart. It's about the spirit working in them. And we see that very clearly here. Because this is almost a laughable example of how to reach people. 40 more days and your city will be overthrown. Could you imagine if we did that today, what that would look like? People would laugh at us. And yet God uses those words to bring a city to their knees in repentance as they follow him. But let's see how the story ends. Because this this is where I think we really see that Jonah cannot be our hero in this story. But Jonah... This seemed very wrong, and he became angry. see, God spared the city of Nineveh because they turned. So Jonah's angry now. He's like, oh, I can't believe this, God. And so he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said to you, God, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending a calamity. Now, Lord, take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? And Jonah had gone, and he sat out, had gone out and he sat down at a place east of the city. He made for himself a shelter and he sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. This is really sad. This is just a sad ending to the book. Like Jonah literally goes out and he gets angry with God. We're told here that he gets so angry with God. He goes, Isn't this what I told you, God? I'm like, Whoa, buddy, like know your place. You're talking to the God, the creator of the world, the God who made you and saved you, and you're going to address him this way. Is this why I told you? This is what I tried to forestall, because I knew you were a good and gracious God. And what he's actually doing, it's really funny here. He's actually hearkening back to when God spoke to Moses, to the Israelites, and he said, Hey, like, this is who I am. I'm calling you to be set apart. I'm calling you to be my people, to be my own and he actually uses verbiage that is repeated in Genesis. Gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who, re- who relents from sending calamity. But see, what God was doing, you see, he was calling Israel to be set apart, but he was calling them to be set apart so they could be sent on mission. And Jonah misses that piece. See, when God called them to be set apart, he wasn't going just be by yourself and don't care about the rest of the world. He was going, be set apart so that people see me in you so that people know there's something different and they can change and follow you so that they understand that God has saved them. Be an example, a living example. But Jonah just gets angry. He doesn't see that. He's he's kind of like this guy who's going, no, but this is for me, not for them, God. And we're told that he goes out and he gets up on this hilltop and he says, it's better for me to die than live. It's a little bit laughable because God not long ago had just saved him from the belly of a big fish. I mean, the dude could have been digested in that belly and died like a horrible death, but God had redeemed him and saved him and brought him out of that place of death. But Jonah's looking at the Ninevites and he's going, but they're not deserving of that redemption and saving that I was. And he goes, God, so just let me die. It's like a really sad moment. And and I think what happens with Jonah is, is, perhaps what happens with us sometimes, is that we look at people and we go, but their sin is greater. They don't deserve this, and we might not articulate that, but perhaps we we believe it in our hearts. It's like when we look at people and we go, "Okay, God, like I know you died for me, but like did you really die for that person, that individual?" I think for many of us, we could probably identify with Jonah because it's in some ways we have felt the same. God, why would you save them? Why would you redeem them? They don't deserve it, God. They haven't done what you've asked them to, they haven't followed you like I have, they weren't called to be set apart like I was. And so again, like if we look at this story, we cannot allow for Jonah to be the protagonist. It must be God. Because if it ends there with how Jonah responds, we miss the point. Because God continues to try to break through to Jonah's heart. He keeps reaching to him going, Jonah, don't you know that I love you and I care about you? And I care about the Ninevites as well. And so I think as we we look at this story, I think we need to step back and go, okay, so what do we actually learn then? As we look at this holistic view of the story of Jonah, what do we actually learn? First, I think we need to be willing to not only hear, but also listen to God. See, Jonah, Jonah only heard certain parts of God's message. He only heard that he was set apart. He only heard that God was telling him to go to an evil city. But I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to be willing to listen as well. You see, listening... Indicates that there is an active application and implementation of God's word to our lives. If Jonah had just simply reread that passage that was given to, to the Israelites back in Genesis, if he just reread it and he said, I'm calling you to be set apart so you can be sent on mission, perhaps he would have understood. You see, we must be people. We must be people who are not passive in our faith, who just hear the word of God on a Sunday, or just hear it when we read our devotions, or simply pray the right prayers. We have to be people of action, of implementation, who take what God says, they listen to it, and we apply it to our lives, so it changes us. So it changes our hearts, and it breaks down the barriers that we have put up, the walls and the presuppositions that we have. We need to be people who not only hear but listen to God. We also need, then, to apply a rhythm of repentance to our lives. If you look at the contrast between the Ninevites and Jonah, Jonah did not repent for his hard heart. Nineveh crumbled when they realized how horribly they had sinned against God. And they repented in a very, very direct and visual way. And I think for many of us, we need to be willing to apply that, that methodology, that rhythm of repentance to our lives. And in fact, we're going to enter into a time of communion here shortly, which is an appropriate opportunity for us to engage in repentance, to say, God, I am broken and I am sinful. I am no better than the worst person in this world because my sin is an affront to you. And as we, we engage that rhythm, as we apply it to our lives, it helps us to know that God is at work even for the most broken of us. And as we realize our brokenness, we see the desperate need to reach others who are broken. We don't see them by their sin. We see them as people who need a savior. We also need to be willing to go to where and to whom God leads us and be a witness for him. You see, I think sometimes like Jonah, we go, I can't go there or I'm not a missionary or that person does not deserve it. And God goes, no, everybody needs to know me. I want everyone to become my followers, to be my sons and my daughters. I want right-standing relationships with you again. And I think sometimes we're not willing to. We're going, I'm not a missionary. I'm not an ambassador. You know what? Maybe, maybe, maybe God's not calling you to the furthest ends of the earth. Maybe he is. But maybe God is calling you to just be a witness in your sphere in your neighborhood, in your school, in your family. Maybe God is calling you to be a witness to the people who pop up in your life repetitively. Maybe it's the annoying coworker who you just can't stand you try to find ways to avoid them. That, That student at lunch, you just don't wanna sit with. Maybe it's the people on your bus. Maybe it's your neighbors, maybe it's your family. And do you perhaps consider the fact that God continues to put them in your life because he wants you to reach them? And we need to stop running and realize that God is divinely ordaining moments for us to reach people who desperately need to know of our Savior. We also then need to trust God's plan and timing because we have to realize that it's not our plan, it's not how we want, it's not when we want, it's his way and his way only. If Jonah had simply trusted God's plan and timing, he would not have been in the belly of the whale. He would not have been struggling to figure out what God was doing. But if he just said, God, I trust you. I want to see what you're going to do. And I'm going to listen to your word, God. We would have seen an amazing moment, both in his life and the lives of the Ninevites. And lastly, then, I think what we learn is that we are called to be set apart. Yes, we are called to be different. We are called to be people who make a difference in this world as we live for Jesus. But we are not called to be separatists. I think that was Jonah's problem. I think that was Israel's problem. And I would argue, ladies and gentlemen, that it is the problem of the church by and large as well. That we here, we should be set apart. And so we shut the door to culture. We shut the door to society. We go, we cannot be a part of any of this. We put all these extra rules and parameters in place to keep us from it. But God didn't say... I have called you to be set apart because I called you to be different so that when people see you, they see me. And the only way people are going to see us is if we are with them, if we are doing life with people, because we are just as broken and in need of a Savior as everybody else. So how dare we? How dare we go when we are set apart that we are better than them or we shouldn't be around them? We should be with people who are hurting and broken and need a doctor just like our Savior was, because that's the only way they're going to hear about it. We are called to be set apart, not separatists. So if you think through this. What, is, what does this mean for practical application then? I think first, we can just ask ourselves a few questions. One is, am I following God's plan? Am I actively following God's plan? If you don't know what God's plan is for your life, let me make this real short, simple, and sweet for you. God tells us, here's my plan. I want you to be a follower of mine. I want you to take the good news, the gospel, the message that my son came and died for you so you could have a relationship with him, be saved from eternal separation. I want you to take that to everybody. That is God's plan for our lives. And everything else in our lives, where we live, where we go to school, what job we have, God will work that out accordingly. But God's plan for our life is simple. Be an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. So ask yourself, are you following that plan for your life? Are you listening to God and implementing that in your life? And then ask yourself a follow-up question. Are you content with God's plan when it differs from your own? Because oftentimes our plan isn't always to live out God's plan. ourselves. But are you content to die to self, to live for Christ so that people may know the power of our Savior? Are you willing to say, I'm going to lay myself down, my pride, my desires, my wants, my visions, and to say, no, for me to live is Christ. That's it. I just want people to know Jesus. I want to die to myself so I can live for him. And then ask yourself, but am I putting God in the box? Because I think oftentimes when we're not following God's plan, we're contextualizing God to a real simple box. And Pastor George talked about that last week. We go, I want you to fit in my box, God. I want you to be for my people, the people who agree with me, the people who follow my viewpoints, the people who think the way that I do. God, I want you to just be for this area. I want you to do how, I want you to do things that I want you to do. And if we put God into a box like Jonah did, where he goes, you're the guy who set me apart. I'm an Israelite. It's not for them. If we do that, we are cheapening The death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. Because we're saying you only did it for a few people and you only did it for me the way I want it. Rather than saying that our God is greater than and He is the Savior of the world, He's Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He was before and always will be. That is our Savior. And then the last question would be to ask yourself who do I struggle to see as a recipient of God's grace? I think sometimes if we are honest with ourselves, within our hearts there are people that we don't want to know Jesus. And that's a hard thing to say out loud because it forces us to wrestle with our hearts and to say why. But I think much like Jonah, we see that some people are not deserving for some reason. But I think there's a couple of things that we can act on as well. I think the first is to release our desires, wants, and frustrations. I would encourage you to actually take some time this week to actually tangibly go before God in prayer and to hold your fists clenched like this. And to say, God, I have been putting my desires, my wants, before yours. I want to release them. I want to give them to you. And in a very tangible way, just actually open your hands and release them. And I would also encourage you to practice sharing God's story with others, even should their views differ from yours. Let's put action Let's be people who live on mission with God's vision and plan for our lives, which is to reach the world, to show them Jesus, to be ambassadors for the Savior, for the kingdom of heaven, not for our own merit, not for our own salvation, but so that people know Christ. May they see Jesus in us. And let me encourage you, find those people that God is putting divinely in your path for you to share the gospel with. Your words don't need to be eloquent or pretty. They just need to show people Christ and allow the Spirit to do the rest. May we be people who live on mission with our Savior in each moment of every day, and may we be people who share the truth of God's story so that people don't see us, they see Christ. May that be how we live our lives each and every moment. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are so thankful for you that you have saved us, that you have died for us, that you paid the price we could not pay. May we be people who are known by your love. May we be people who that when others see us, they see the Savior. May we be people on mission with your plan being the forefront of our lives as we live to show people Christ. We pray this in your name. Amen.